Welcome to the study of God's Word with pastor and author Ed Taylor, recorded live from Calvary Chapel in Aurora, Colorado. To learn more about the many resources available through Abounding Grace Media, visit us online at calvaryaurora.org or download our free app on all platforms. And now, here's Pastor Ed to take us into our study. Amen. Take your Bibles and open them to two places, Hebrews chapter 8 and Romans chapter 7. Hebrews chapter 8 and Romans chapter 7 in a Bible study that I've entitled, The Law is Holy, Just, and Good. And it's only a quotation from Romans chapter 7, but it's important that we remember that the law is holy, just, and good. Because remember, we left off in verse 6 of Hebrews chapter 8, and in that verse it says this, But now he, speaking of Jesus, has obtained a more excellent ministry inasmuch as that he, as also mediator of a better covenant, which was established on better promises. Now when we read the word better, or we use the word better, it's usually used in this thought. We say, on the one hand, this is better, but then we compare it to something else that is, finish for me, worse. Are you guys with me? Let's start over. We think of something that's better compared to something that's worse. That's an automatic thinking. That when we say something's better, then, then whatever we're comparing it to must be worse. So in the context of, of our study here, we're thinking, well, the, covenant, the new covenant is better, so the old covenant must be worse. But that's not the definition of this word here. You would make a grave mistake if you thought that the law was worse. It's not. The law is holy, just, and good and serves a specific purpose in your life and mine. There is nothing inherently wrong with the law. The new covenant, the old covenant, they both were given by God. They both were given for the blessing and encouragement of God's people. They're both given direction to us on how to live and how not to live. Both covenants are filled with blessings and benefits. Notice with me now in Romans chapter 7. Turn over to Romans chapter 7 with us as we learn the benefits and the purpose of the law. Romans chapter 7, pick up with me in verse 7 there. As Paul is writing to the, to the Roman believers, he says, What shall we say then? Is the law sin? And notice the answer, certainly not. One of the strongest ways in the original language to say absolutely no way. Is the law sin? No way. But on the contrary, I would not have known sin except through the law. For I would not have known covetousness unless the law had said, you shall not covet. But sin, taking opportunity by the commandment, produced in me all manner of evil desire. For apart from the law, sin was dead. I was, I was alive once without the law. But when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. And the commandment which was to bring life, I found to bring death. For sin, taking occasion of the commandment, deceived me, and by it killed me. Therefore, the law is holy, and the commandment holy and just and good. Sometimes as we value the law, or excuse me, value the grace of God, because we are a ministry that is uh, centered in the grace of God, we love the grace of God, we teach the grace of God, but when it comes to grace and law, 
there's a great mistake that's made. And often it's the mistake of the either or. For example, for those of you that love the grace of God, you, you may teach it's all grace and no law. Or those of you that gravitate toward the law, which is unfortunate, but let's say you do, you come and say it's all law and no grace, either or. But actually the Bible teaches that it's both. That both are very essential and important for us to understand the heart of God. Paul taught us that it's both because the law is holy. It's just, it's good. Jot it down in Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 8. The Bible says, And what great nation is there that such statutes and righteous judgments as are in all this law which I set before you this day? Who, who is it in the world that gets to have the righteous statutes and judgments of God? Or in Psalm 119, verse 172, it says, My tongue shall speak of your word, for all your commandments are righteousness. They're good, and they're good for us. And you say, wait a minute, Pastor Ed, are you saying that we must keep the law in order to be saved? The answer is no, absolutely not. Neither does the Bible, and neither does the new covenant. The law is established by our faith for the purpose for which it was created and given. You know, the law is God's standard, showing us our need for a savior. It's, our, it's God's standard. Let me read to you this section of Romans in the New Living Translation. Listen to what he says. Paul says, I felt fine when I didn't understand that the, what the law demanded. But when I learned the truth, I realized that I had broken the law and was a sinner doomed to die. So the good law, which was supposed to show me the way of life, instead gave me the death penalty. Sin took advantage of the law and fooled me. It took the good law and used it to make me guilty of death. But still, the law itself is holy, right, and good. And so today I want to give you four reasons why the law is good, holy and just. Four purposes of the law that are very important for us to grasp. So if you're taking notes, number one, we find in verse seven of Romans seven, the law defines for us what sin is. The law defines for us what sin is. Notice Paul says, I wouldn't have known sin except from the law. I wouldn't have known what sin is because God uses his law to show us what sin really is. God has declared for all of mankind, all of eternity, what sin is. Remember the children of Israel as they're coming out of the uh, slavery in Egypt and they're right in the next generation is entering into the promised land just after the victory at the city of Ai Joshua in Joshua chapter 8 he rehearses the law before the people and writes it down plain before them and declares it to them and reminds them that they have direction in life reminds them of the right way to live reminds them that they are following the God who has given direction for their life he decides to bring them back to God's word so that they might know the direction that God has for them. And one of the things they learned as the law was being rehearsed for them was this. Obedience brings blessings. That's still true today. When you obey God, you can expect the blessing of God. You can expect to be in a place of blessing in your relationship with God when you obey God. Let me put it a different way. It is never, ever, ever wrong to obey God. Anybody wanna say amen to that? Never wrong to obey God. Look at your neighbor, it's so important. Look at your neighbor and tell them it's never wrong to obey God. Tell them, 
They need to hear it from you. It's never wrong to obey God. Ever, never, ever. If you ever question, just remember the face that just told you. It's never wrong to obey God. Obedience brings blessings. But you know what the law teaches? Disobedience brings consequence. Or the law specifically says disobedience brings death. Sin is a serious thing. And the law reminds us that sin exists. The law reminds us that obedience brings blessings and disobedience brings consequences. Listen, sin is the number one cause of death and pain and sorrow and suffering in the world today. The age-old question of why does a good God allow all the evil rampant? The answer to that question is there's evil in the world today because of sin. Sin is the, the cause. It creeps into households. It creeps into cubicles. It, it flows through the lives of those who choose to sin. Why are things so difficult in your life today? One of the ways that you must ask God, one of the questions you must ask is, is there any unconfessed sin I'm living in today? And you say, well, wait a minute, Ed, what is sin? Well, that's the good news of the law. Through the law, God defines for us what sin is. He tells us what his righteous standard is. Who defines sin? God does. Society is unable to accurately define what is right and wrong. Because society always changes their opinion of what's right and wrong, almost always to suit themselves. It's like a world, we live in a world that's not unlike the time of the book of Judges, where the book of Judges teaches us that everyone was doing that which was right in their own eyes. So we can't rely upon society to tell us what's right and wrong because it's always changing. We can't rely upon the politicians that are in office today to define for us what's right and wrong because the law of the land, that too also changes. Oh, it's true that sometimes the laws of the lands reflect God's standard, but that's God's standard. You see, those that are put in a position of authority in politics usually only serve one small group of people. You know that, right? The key word to remember is they make decisions for their constituency. That means it's not for everyone, it's just for a small group that voted them in office. You add to that the allurement of money and power, many times politicians make decisions that are gonna personally benefit themselves and not think at all about the people that they're called to serve. So we can't let politicians tell us what's right and wrong. Even the general population, just people in general, how careful we need to be not to allow just people in general and everyone's popular opinion tell us what sin is. I mean, think about it. Let, let's just use one simple example. Let, let's just say uh, a movie comes out. A movie comes out that has some sexual scenes in it, some nudity in it, some language in it. And as it comes out, you are going to hear a couple things. First of all, you're going to hear a group of people that says, that was a great movie. That was a wonderful movie. You've got to see it. It's a must-see. It's grossed a billion dollars. It's an Academy Award winner in there. You've got to see it. And so there's going to be a part of the population that says, you've got to see it. Then there's going to be another part of the population that says, ah, oh, it's a horrible movie. I don't know why it gave it. A, the actor was this and that was that. But those are the wrong people to listen to. 
when a movie comes out and you've got to choose what to watch, you need to ask God, what is your opinion? What's your opinion on this? You see, society can't do it. Politicians can't do it. People can't do it. Churches don't define for you what sin is. Pastors don't define for you what sin is. Only God defines sin. And I would do best as a leader in God's church to take you back to the word of God so that you can let him define for you what sin is in your life and mine. Sin is a serious issue. And and we need to understand what God's heart is for our lives. It's not popular opinion. That's why I'm so thankful for God's word. It, It reveals to me what sin is and helps me avoid it altogether. It shows me what sexual sin is. It shows me what societal sins are. It shows me what personal sins. It shows me what public sins are. It reveals to me the truth about life. And it's not only to those that do them. It's not, the Bible doesn't just reveal sins to those that do them, but to all of us. Remember in Romans chapter one, it talks about not only those that sin, but also those that approve of them and how careful we need to be to allow God to define our lives. You know, the Bible, the Bible becomes a very offensive book. And you need to understand this. The Bible becomes a very offensive book to those that are living in sin. Those that are clinging to sin. Like one of the things that I've found over the years is that most people don't need a pastor telling them all the sins they're committing. Because as soon as a person turns their their mind and their thoughts toward God, he's already revealing things. I mean, we could go through and name every single sin. I don't know how many there are mentioned in the Bible. I guess we could read through a list, and by the time I'm done with the list, you will, oh, that's me, oh, that's me, but you don't really need that because the work of the Holy Spirit is always bringing to our remembrance and to to the forefront of our minds the reality of our separation from God. And the Bible becomes very offensive. There is a tendency to avoid God's loving word to us when we find that it disagrees with our lifestyle, when we choose our lifestyle over God's word. And so it's important that you choose to receive God's word as painful as it might be. It's like a doctor in many cases. Doctors deal with very serious, significant issues in our bodies and sometimes terminal disease. And as much as we don't want to hear what the doctor has to say, we need to hear it. I don't want a doctor lying to me. Do you want a doctor lying to you? I want to know what's wrong. Because the only way that we can fix what's wrong is to identify it. And that's true in your life and mine. The only way to live in a right relationship with God is to identify where it's wrong. And only God does that. His law does that. Number two. Number two. Why is the law holy just and good? Well, secondly, the law reveals that we're sinners. (laughs) Now we're getting personal. So first of all, God reveals through his law, number one, that there's sin. And, And you know, there's a comfortability, I think, at times, talking about sin philosophically, talking about it in the third person, talking about those sinners over there, or those sinners out there. But you know what the law says? The law speaks to us sinners in here. It reveals that I'm a sinner. The law says Ed Taylor is a sinner. And everyone goes, oh yeah, amen, Ed Taylor. No, no, you put your name in there. Don't put my name. Put your name in there. The law says your name as well as mine. The law reveals that we are sinners. See what Paul said? Notice what Paul said. 
He says in verse seven, for I would not have known covetousness unless the law has said, you shall not covet. You gotta understand who wrote this. Paul, we know him as Paul the apostle, was an extremely spiritually smart man. He was in a group known as the Pharisees who dedicated and devoted their entire life to know the Bible. Today we would refer Paul as to a seminary educated multiple degrees of studying the Bible. And as he's studying the Bible, he opens it up with all his studies and all that he knew. As he opened it up, God revealed to him something he didn't know. God said, you're covetous, Paul. I mean, even if you step back for a second, even in his life, remember, as a Pharisee, he wasn't even saved. Do you know it's possible to be hyper-educated in the Bible and know all about the Bible and know this verse and that verse and have you know, degrees and master divinity? You can, have, you, can, you can be the smartest person in the room about the Bible and still be dead inside. That you can know all the words, all the verses, and be far from God. And so you say, well, Ed, prove it. I will, one word, Pharisee. Jesus gave the strongest rebuke to Pharisees. Now, you gotta understand something before you kinda look at them and go, that's the Pharisees. Listen, the Pharisees would be a group of people that would be closest aligned to us and our theology and our understanding. They started out very strong. They were dedicated to the word of God. That's what you would describe a Pharisee. They were dedicated to the word of God. They were conservative in their approach. They believed in the supernatural. They wanted to honor God with their lives. They wanted other people to know God through his word. Like, like the Pharisees in how they started would be very similar to us in our dedication to the word of God. But here's what happened somewhere along the way. The word of God became more important than God. And the longer they lived in that, so much so that by the time Jesus came, you know what he told him? He says, look, you guys search the scriptures because you think in the scriptures you find eternal life. But they are that which speak of me. You see, eternal life is not knowing a scripture, it's knowing God by faith. That's where salvation comes. The Bible doesn't save you, God of the Bible saves you. That's a very important distinction. The Trinity of God is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's not the Father, the Son, and the Holy Bible. The Bible is what God's given to us to get us to him. And the Pharisees missed it. Jesus even told them, you guys are like whitewashed tombs full of dead men's bones. And what he was saying is, you look all nice on the outside, but inside you're corrupt. Well, guess what? Paul was corrupt too, just like you and me. He didn't even know he was covetous until the Bible said, don't covet. So imagine him opening up the scroll, he's reading it, don't covet. What's his next question? What's coveting? Well, if you would look up coveting, it literally means to want something that someone else has. (laughs) Want something that someone else has. Deeply desire it. You're almost, it's even worse than jealousy because covetous adds one more thing to it. It's not just that you want what someone else has, but you're not happy that they have it. You would rather have it. It's insidious. This constant pursuit, I've got to have it. Well, do you need it? No, I don't need it. I want it. I've got to have it. My neighbor has it and I can't believe, why does he have it? 
I work all day long and I save and all we do is, I mean, my neighbor gets everything. And you know how it goes. Covetousness. Look, look. If an advertising company wanted to write down the mission and vision of their company, this is what the mission and vision is. We make people covet. Because that's really what advertising does. I mean, I don't know about you, but there have been times I see a, a commercial and I wanted something I didn't even know existed before I saw that commercial. And it gets, you know, with the rise of social media, man, we are just... We're getting tossed to and fro like a tennis ball on a tennis court. Social media, there you are, you're sitting down, had a great day today, you're winding down, you know, you don't have a lot of resources or you don't even want to go out. So what do you do? You go to the refrigerator, you take out that styrofoam container, it's half of a cheeseburger that the lettuce is all, but it's all right, I'm going to eat it, put it in the microwave, warm it up, you have it there on the kitchen table, you open up Instagram, oh man. Look at what they're eating. Look what I'm eating. I want what they're. But you know, the secret about Instagram is that picture of the meal actually isn't even theirs. They took it from the table next to them. They're just got water and chips and salsa, man. That's all they got, but that's not, they don't post that on Instagram. And you know, we just are so stirred up. You know, I'll let you in on something, right? Because when I'm traveling, if there's an in and out in town, which will be in the spring soon enough, we visit it. And if you follow me on Instagram or social media, you'll know that I'll post a picture of this massive four-layer cheeseburger, all the patties, all the cheese. It's huge. It barely fits on my Instagram. I got to wrap it all around. That's not my cheeseburger. I don't eat like that anymore. That's my son's. He can eat like that. Why would I post some burger wrapped in a lettuce for you? That's not gonna get very exciting. Or I get a little cheeseburger and then I don't even, I share the fries. Like that's not exciting. My boy, he's got an exciting burger. Me, nah, boring. It's not even true. But I wonder, I mean, you look at a picture and you go, oh, I wish I was in In-N-Out. I wish I was there. And then it goes to, I want that. And then it goes to, why is he eating In-N-Out all the time? That's not fair. I got to eat the same cheeseburger three times a week, man. That's not fair. That's not fair. I want that. I want that. Paul, he's reading the Bible and the Bible is telling him, you are covetous. That is a sin. You know why? Because covetousness is the exact opposite of contentment. And the Bible says that godliness with contentment is great gain. See, the antidote to covetousness is contentment. Just saying, you know what, Lord? Whatever you have for me, I accept it. I'm so grateful. Even more so, to go back to the moment you were born again. That's the greatest day in your life. And here you are coveting a cheeseburger, but you're saved. You're forgiven. You're going to heaven. And you're all bent out of shape because somebody has a better cheeseburger than you. But it's much more serious than that, isn't it? Because some people covet other people's wives and husbands. Some people covet other things, and it just, as you'll see in a moment, it just wrecks a life. We have to be able to say, God, whatever you have for me. Jot this down. Let me read it to you in Psalm 84. In Psalm 84, verse 11, listen. This is the word of the Lord to you and to me. 
that wrestle with covetousness. For the Lord God is a sun and a shield, and the Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly. No good thing will God withhold from you as you walk uprightly. That means if you don't have it, it's not good for you right now. That's what it means. In your relationship with God, if you don't have it, it's not good. Why? Because God's not holding anything good back from you. He's not holding anything good. So if you're a good little boy, you'll find, no, he's not holding anything good back from me or you. So therefore, I can choose to be content that God will give me what I need when I need it. And he'll provide for all of my needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus. And you ask, there are a few people among us that can tell you this testimony. They went after the buck and they went after the things and they, they just devoted their whole life to it. And they came to the same conclusion. It's all emptiness. Things rust. They break. They get ripped off. And you never get your time back. And you never get to use that money to invest in the kingdom of God. And it's all a loss. Because as we're learning, aren't we? It's all temporary. It's all temporary. And if God entrusts you with a lot, then the Bible says to whom much is given, much is required. And if the, if the Lord entrusts you to a little, then you need to be faithful with the little you've been given because if you're faithful with the little you've been given, you'll be given more. But covetousness will wreck you. And Paul said, I didn't even know I was covetous until I read the law. And we've used this illustration it's even overused, but for the sake of reminder, remember, the law's like the mirror. And when you look in the mirror, it reveals. The Bible's like a mirror. When I open it up, it reveals my life in light of God's opinion. Not man's opinion, not society's opinion, not pastor's opinion, not church. It shows me what God thinks about my life. Number three. The law is holy, just, and good. Why? Because number one, the law defines for us what sin is. Secondly, the law reveals that we're sinners. Thirdly, verses eight through 11, we learn how the law shows us how deceitful sin is. Or in the New Living Translation, how it fools us. Sin is deceitful. This is amazing. The very thing that Paul thought was giving him life was bringing death in him. He was clinging to the law for salvation when all the while the law was pointing him to Messiah. And he thought he had life, but it was producing death in him. He thought he was living, he was living but the reality was is he was dying spiritually, living in death. Galatians chapter six, jot it down in verse seven says, do not be deceived, God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will reap. Don't be deceived, God will not be mocked. Truth is the truth. Sin is so deceitful, such a liar to us. The, the Bible says that the wages of sin is death. That never changes. But you know what sin does? It promises life. It promises happiness. It promises fulfillment. If you just do it this way, look, everybody's happy. Look, everybody's going, look, everybody's, and, and, and oh, there you are, you go to that church, you read that book, and it tells you don't do things. It's, the devil comes to you and says, you're not doing it, you're missing out. You're missing out. Listen, the only thing you're missing out on is death. We have really poor memories because we have a tendency when we think back in our past to only remember the, what we perceive as good times, the great times that we're somehow missing now. And we conveniently forget just how bad it was, just how many people we hurt, 
You know, if you were a partier and you drank yourself into, into blackouts, you forgot that. Waking up in your own vomit, that's nice. Waking up wondering what you did and what you said. Waking up, how did you get here? I mean, on and on, you think if, if it wasn't alcohol, it was all relationships and you forgot how used you felt when you woke up in the morning. You forgot how empty it was. You forgot how it never brought satisfaction. And so you kept searching and searching because sin lies to us. You know, before I read the Bible, before anyone ever came to my house, before anyone opened the Bible to me and shared the gospel with me, I was generally free from an accusing conscience. And what I mean by that is this, before I was born again, when I partied, I partied and I didn't care. I didn't have this accusing conscience. At the end of the party, I was always thinking about the next one. And I was thinking about how I could rearrange my work schedule and whether I'd have to call in sick. And I, was always, I wasn't sitting around thinking, hey man, I'm not doing anything wrong because I was raised in the same generation you were raised in. And it's successive generations. Yeah, I could do whatever I want as long as it doesn't hurt anyone. I bought into that. That's a lie. That's a lie. Not only was I hurting other people, but set that aside for a second. The lifestyle I chose to live, number one, was hurting the heart of God, but number two was hurting me. I was destroying my own life, my God-given life. So away with this nonsense that says you can do anything you want if you don't hurt anyone. Every time you sin, you hurt someone. Sin is a liar, and God will not be mocked. Sin doesn't tell us the truth. You know, even before I knew the gospel, I knew there was something wrong with me because I was one of those guys, and maybe you were too, that just, man, I bought every self-help book I could find because I knew I needed to improve in this, I needed to be better this, and I'd go from book to book to book only to find out that I couldn't help myself. I couldn't help myself. I mean, think about the whole self-help thing. It's like a multi-gajillion dollar business. If there was a book that could really give you self-help, okay, I want you to stick with me on this. If, there, if self-help books really worked, then there would only be one of them. Why would you need more than one? Why do you need to keep helping yourself, helping yourself, helping yourself? If self-help books were really accurate, you'd only need one. It'd be a bestseller. To which people yell out, yeah, it's the Bible. No, it's not. The Bible's not a self-help book. The Bible is a God-help book. And the Bible reveals through the law that we can't help ourselves. Let's come back to self-help because nobody really responded to that. Do you understand what I'm saying? If the self-help books, if, if Dr. Phil really was doing his job, he would be out of work. Are you guys with, hello? I hear the people on the radio louder than you. Hello, here. If self-help, I mean, think about it. Let's just think about it. So, so you want to improve in an area, and I think that's great. So you get a book from, you know, down at Barnes & Noble or Amazon. You get a book, and it says, write on the, you got make 10 commitments, write them on three-by-five cards, and put them all around the house. And so you do it, because you're like, yeah, I want 10 things. So you write it. You write all of them, you put them around the house. Do you understand that the cards have no ability to change you? Do you understand that? That every time you see it on the mirror, it says, I'm committed to smile more, and you're not smiling. All the card does is accuse you. You're not smiling. I know, I know. And then you go to the next one, I will be nice, but you're so mean today. I know, I know. And I'll go to work on time, but you're always late. I know, I know. 
So, so it's not that you can't be reminded, but that card only reminds you that you fail in that area. And it keeps telling you every time, go take them down. You're failing, you can't smile, you're late and mean all the time. There's no power. It just reveals. Listen, church, you can't help yourself. You need to surrender to the one who will empower. See, God reveals to us the problem so that the last thing we learn about the law is the law reveals our need for a savior. It tells us that we've come to the end of ourselves and we need a savior to rescue us from our endless circle of trying to be better and do better, trying to improve and help ourselves, when all the while God is saying, you don't need to help yourself, I am ready to do what you are incapable of doing if you will come to me. Acknowledge the sin that I've revealed to you. Acknowledge that it's not a theoretical philosophy, but you're a sinner. Acknowledge that sin has lied to you all these years. And then come to the cross of Jesus Christ where your sins were taken upon Jesus and all the pain and the weight and the penalty and the wrath of God was taken upon Jesus Christ for you. You see, when you refer to the new covenant as better, it is better. But it doesn't make the law bad. The law is never bad. We need that revelation. Let me give it to you real simple. Just, you don't need to know all of Leviticus or Deuteronomy or any of you know, the extents of the Torah, Genesis through, all the way through Leviticus, you know, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. You don't need to all know all that. If you just went to Exodus chapter 20 and you read through the 10 commandments with someone or yourself, that's just a real quick summary of the law. If you just read through the 10 commandments, Thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not lie, thou shalt not commit adultery, covet your neighbor's wife. All. If you go through there, you have failed at one of those. At least one. Probably all of them, but at least one. Many of them. And as you come to the conclusion, yeah, okay, Ed, okay, pastor, all right, enough already. I have failed at one of the Ten Commandments. One of them, back when I was three, but I did fail. Okay, okay, and I, I accept that. You admitted that you have failed one of the Ten Commandments. Well, what God says is, is that now you have broken his law. That's what he says. Now you're a lawbreaker. You go, wait a minute, how could you, what am I supposed to do? I'm a lawbreaker. Yeah, remember you said that you failed in lying. You, you've lied a lot in your life. And so that, that, that reveals to you that you're not perfect. Well, man, if I'm not perfect, how do I get perfect? Which is a great question. You can't undo the actions. You can't go back and undo that action. So what does God do for you? He provides to you a perfect substitute and sacrifice on your behalf. Remember, we're learning in Hebrews. We're learning in Hebrews that in Jesus Christ, he's the better, the best. When you come to him, you have it all. Don't go backwards. Don't go away. Don't, don't veer away from simple faith in Jesus Christ. There's always those people that want to tempt you away from simple faith. Well, I just believe in Jesus. Yeah, but you don't know enough theology. Listen, you don't have to know, be perfect in theology in order to be saved. You know that, right? You can just believe Jesus. He'll give you the knowledge that you need. As a matter of fact, those that want to draw you not to Jesus, but to their system of theology are actually filled with pride. 
Knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. And love goes after the soul. Knowledge goes after the head. And so be careful if somebody comes along, you don't believe, right? You don't believe. Listen, do you believe in Jesus Christ that he lived for you, died for you, and rose again? To that you say amen? amen. Perfect. Perfect. And as you grow in him, you'll gain a greater knowledge of him. And enjoy him, surrender to him, walk with him, pray to him, listen to him. Life is surrounding Jesus Christ, folks. Abiding in him as he abides in you. Hey, we do love the grace of God. And we'll get into the new covenant in future studies. But just because the new covenant is better doesn't mean the law is worse. It's holy, just, and good. And its message is loud and clear. Come to Jesus Christ and repent of your sins. Acknowledge him as your savior and follow him as your Lord and you will be saved. It's so beautiful. Father, thank you. We worship you. And thank you for the beauty and the blessing of knowing you. For the truth today that the law is holy, just, and good. We are not saved by the law, but if we read the law properly, it'll tell us it can't save us. And I pray for that never-ending exhaustion that people are on trying to do better and trying to be better, trying to think better, trying to act better. It's just a treadmill of, of high energy, but that gets them nowhere. I pray that, like we sing today, they'll just say, I surrender. I acknowledge on my weakness. Even believers, they get so wrapped up on I've got to find the answer to my problem when the answer is already inside of them. Your love and mercy and grace in their lives. Forgive us for our straying ways, Lord. Even something like covetousness. Didn't even know I was covetous until the Bible defined it for me. And now that it's defined for me, I want to stay away. I want to be content with godliness of what you've allowed me to be a part of. I want to just trust you, God, that no good thing will you withhold from me. As I walk uprightly with you. And as the church is praying today, we invite you into a relationship with Jesus Christ. The entirety of the good news of the gospel has been shared with you today. I know you heard the word sin a lot today. Probably more in one message than you do all year in this world. But the reason being is that you need to understand the condition of your life. You need to understand that when God assesses your life, the biggest issue is not what you think it is. It's actually sin. And the remedy for sin is the forgiveness that God gives. Man's greatest need is met by God's greatest deed. That Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came to this earth and he lived a holy and a righteous, what we would call perfect life. And the reward for his perfect life was a torturous death on the Roman cross some 2,000 years ago outside the walls of Jerusalem. They buried him. And the Bible declares many witnesses attest that Jesus Christ rose from the dead three days later to save lawbreakers like you and like me. That as you've been awakened now to your need for Jesus, the only logical response is for you to accept him and follow him with your life, to surrender your life to him. And so if that's you today and you'd say, Ed, 
I want to follow God with my life. I, I believe I need my sins forgiven. I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet right where you are. And I want to pray with you and help you apply what the Bible says. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And we would love to be a part of it. So if that's you, right where you are, I'm going to ask you, just stand to your feet. We can pray with you. Today would be the day that God transforms your life and you acknowledge your sin before him and you ask him to forgive you of all of your sins. He's ready. He's ready. He has been pursuing you. And I know that you guys watching online or listening on the radio somewhere, I mean, imagine that God met you in your car. God met you in your hospital bed. God met you in that cell. You bet he did because he loves you. God bless you in the back. Who else would say, that's me? And I just sense like right now the radio, uh, this message going on on the radio is really ministering, really serving someone. Maybe you're even on the parking lot. You didn't even make it into the door, but you're listening on the radio. Well, God loves you in your car. God bless you over here. God bless you right here. God is working in this room. Like it's really a powerful thing. We see it so much that we kind of take it for granted, but God is saving people. God bless you, brother. Who else would say that's me? You know, it's just a powerful time of God's love being poured out on us. God bless you guys. Yeah. Why? Because he loves you. He loves you guys. Sent his son Jesus to die for you. Imagine that. In your worst condition, he'd even wait for you to change. He says, no, I love you in your brokenness. And I love you in your craziness. And I love you in your sinfulness. And God has so much more for you. So let me help you. Those of you that are here, those of you that are downstairs maybe in an overflow, let me help you fulfill this verse, confessing with your mouth. We call that prayer. It's really just talking to God. And so I'm going to pray, and you can repeat it, read, read after me. I'll, I'll pause so you can repeat after me. Um, and you know, mean it with your heart. Don't just say my words, but seriously mean it. And you can say something like this. God, I admit that I've sinned against you, and I repent and turn away from my sins. Because I believe you sent Jesus Christ to live for me, to die for me, and I believe he rose again from the dead to forgive me of my sins. And I ask for your help, God, to follow you all the days of my life. Father, I know anyone that cries out to you today, you hear them so grateful to be a small part of it so grateful to anticipate how you're going to change lives to watch these men and women grow up in you to hear of their testimonies and i pray it's the real deal god i pray that they have come to the acknowledgement of the brokenness of their life and they love you and accept you even in what they understand today pour out your spirit upon us lord that we might make a serious difference in the lives of the people you bring into us into our sphere in Jesus' name. Amen. We pray that you've been encouraged by this Bible study delivered live from the sanctuary of Calvary Aurora. For prayer or a copy of this study, call us at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-304-7223. Or visit us online at calvaryaurora.org. Be blessed as you...